Hello and welcome to RPG PodQuest, the show that's not only about RPGs, but is an RPG. I'm one of your hosts, Will. And I'm Evan. And today we have an exciting show for you yet again. I'd like to think that our shows are always exciting. I think that they are too. (laughs) But first off, how are you doing, Evan? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, So as I believe maybe I mentioned, uh, these past couple of weeks have been pretty hectic for me, uh, Mm -hmm. moving into a new apartment, uh, birthday, and then also I'm a teacher. So my first week of school uh, was just this past week, which is always a whirlwind. However, this long weekend has given me an excellent opportunity to catch up on some games, to play some new games. So I'm really excited to talk about those. That's awesome. Yeah, I know you've been super busy, so I'm sure you have a lot to catch up on in gaming, in the gaming space. Most definitely. How are you doing? I'm doing good as well. Enjoying the long weekend as well. Um, School is starting up tomorrow here, and everyone's concerned about all the restrictions and everything, but I think we're in a good place for now, so we'll keep our fingers crossed that everything will stay good. Um, I'm really excited to to come back to these podcasts. long in the future because Mm -hmm. i feel like it's going to be a lovely little snapshot of a time when the world was completely out of whack right maybe it'll be out of whack in the future too in a new and different way probably (laughs) i'll be like remember the good old days yeah when we were only worried about you know transmitting this terrible awful uh thing to one another yeah things were simpler then yeah, definitely. Oh gosh, I'm scared. This is actually going to be the case. <laughs> well, let's, let's move on. Let's talk yeah. about what we've been playing. <laughs> yeah, what have you been playing, Evan? Uh, so I have gone back to a few things and also started some new games as well. But the first one that I wanted to talk about is a game whose, I believe, developer, publisher has been in the news really recently. And I don't want to get into the news-related stuff having to do with it because it's a little political. We don't really have to uh, touch on that uh, in this podcast. It's about games, which can be political, most definitely. uh, But I'd rather just talk about this game in particular. So I have been playing a little bit more of Maneater, which is a open-world, as they call it, Shark PG uh, because you are playing as a shark. Oh, that's the shark game. I have played that one. The shark game, yeah. So you've you've played it. Yeah, I just didn't recognize the name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so some DLC was recently released on all other consoles except for Switch, and who knows when the Switch will get it. That's kind of par for the course with a lot of contemporary releases. But I've just been playing the base game, and... I gotta say, the premise was extremely appealing to me when I first started playing, and even when I first heard about the game, you know, very much in in the vein of Boyfriend Dungeon as, like, a meme game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but as I, as I started playing, I have not been gripped. There are some aspects about it that I, I do feel are very compelling, but I think that they're compelling in very linear ways which is kind of the opposite of what i would expect from an open world game i also would say that this game isn't really all that open world because they do gate your progress from environment to environment uh, and that's a little disappointing but understandable 
So Maneater has you playing as a shark, and you can swim around and eat things, which makes sense uh, as a shark. But of course, you can also eat people, and in a sort of Grand Theft Auto uh, reputation-style system, you can have hunters come after you, and you can raise your threat level. And when you start to do that, uh, the hunters, the the shark hunters who are going to come after you, are going to be tougher uh, to take on. Although I've cleared out what I assume is about half of... There's like a collection of very specific hunters with certain characteristics, uh, or, or at least personalities. And I've cleared out about half of them, and I did... I think like three or four in one killing spree and i didn't really find them to be all that difficult in terms of escalation which kind of brings me back to one of the reasons why i'm bouncing off of this game which is i don't really like the core gameplay i don't Mm -hmm. find it all that fun playing as a shark and i think a lot of the aquatic battles that you have um, are, are a little bit more compelling. You get to fight uh, alligators and uh, other larger sharks and such, but a lot of it is really just kind of strafing uh, or kiting the enemy, I suppose, and dodging at the right time, and their attack patterns aren't really all that nuanced and I'm wondering, because I would say I'm not entirely certain how many areas there are in the game, or at least biomes is is maybe a better word, but I'm only about three biomes in. I'm, I've gotten through like the bayou one, and then there's this sort of industrial style, um, but also like shoreline biome as well and now i'm in kind of like this like posh rich place uh and i just haven't really found the the shark behavior or the enemy behavior to be all that complex or nuanced and there's like a tail swipe move that you can use but i barely ever use it because i don't really find it all that useful um in general so yeah that's my thoughts on maneater what uh, you've played this so do you have any you know similar feelings or did you enjoy it yeah i agree on all of those points i found i thought it was going to be more fun just to be a shark and swim around but i didn't love the controls overall i found them a little bit clunky and i did bounce off it pretty quickly i played for probably 45 minutes and i just wanted to feel the joy of being a shark swimming around honestly and just eating things but it just wasn't i I think i wanted to feel a little more arcadey and just pure fun and fun to be in that world and to be a shark and to eat people. But it's, it felt like more of a chore than I wanted, I guess. Yeah, I, I would agree. And there are a lot of quests to take on and mm-hmm. they're very specific uh, via biome. And I, I guess there's a quest line that you have to follow in order to fight these. They're called apex predators uh, in the game. And they're essentially just tougher enemies. When you fight them, you can unlock these new sort of evolutionary traits, which to me, that's the area where I'd I'd want to experiment with the game as much as possible because, you know, RPGs are a lot about building your character. Yeah. But doing that, you have to do very specific things and those specific things aren't really all that fun sometimes. Mm -hmm. 
And that's bad because everything else that you can do aside from that also isn't all that fun. Um, and I would say that, yeah, the the most appealing part of this game to me has been just kind of going up to the shoreline where there are like humans hanging out and doing stuff and just like thrusting myself on land and Mm -hmm. murdering people. Yep. And I think that's what we all want out of this game. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, there's a part of me because obviously you're a shark and so your air time quote unquote is limited. And there's a part of me that, God, I just want to be an alligator in this game so bad so that I can just go up on land and cause absolute mayhem and that's not really great when your game is all about being a shark that you want to be something that isn't a shark yeah i don't know the 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 mayhem aspect is is very appealing but i don't find the aquatic mayhem to be all that fun especially even just like kind of jumping well i should say like jumping onto boats and killing people on them is is kind of fun but it's it's not as gleefully mad as I would have hoped, actually. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's ultimately my, my final thought about Manny. I agree. So what else have you been playing? So there's two other games that I can at least mention right now because I've been kind of skipping through a, a number of different things. I've been playing some non-RPGs. Have I mentioned Islander on this podcast before? I'm not really sure if I have. I don't think so. Uh, it's it's really, it's a very casual game that's all about just building civilizations on islands, and it's almost kind of got like a tetris vibe in that you have to like fit buildings together so that you can optimize your space because you really need to try to create these number-based chains, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I've been playing Islander a lot. That's kind of like my therapy game uh, because it's very mellow. And I've also been playing The Tourist, which is a a great and very cute, voxely-looking game that's all about just exploring islands and doing a bunch of different stuff on uh, said islands. (laughs) Those are RPGs. (laughs) Um, Sorry, you've played The Tourist? No, sorry. I was just saying stuff is fun. Stuff is fun, yeah. And the the tourist has lots of stuff to do. You can like do a, a very basic rhythm game. You can scuba dive. You can go around in a canoe. It's neat. But uh, in specifically in the realm of RPGs, I've been playing uh, Cthulhu Saves Christmas, which is from the makers of Cosmic Star Heroine and Cthulhu Saves the World. I believe Breath of Death 7 is another one of their games, um, which is not the 7th entry in the Breath of Death series. I think it's, it's again, supposed to be very meme-y, or, mm-hmm. or it, it's, a, it's a play on of, of these very extended uh, RPG series. And, and that's kind of what Zeboid uh, does. That's their thing. And I don't want to talk too long about this game because it is more of the same from them in the sense that it takes some ideas from Cosmic Star Heroine, which I think is by and large a better game than this. Um, but it combines the game that they're really known the best for, which is Cthulhu Saves the World, that character. This is a prequel to that game. Uh, so you are just kind of getting to spend some time with that character in particular, but meet some crazy Christmas-themed party members and enemies along the way. 
yeah, but the, the, the gameplay is, is very similar to Cosmic Star Heroine, which I think has a, a really neat combat system, um, but I don't really think that this game does all that much more with it. And Ziboid, the developers at least, have been very forward in stating that they want to make these short, easily consumable RPG experiences for people, which max out around 8 to 10 hours. So a lot of their games fit really well into, I guess, what one of our previous quests had been. But their writing is very tongue-in-cheek, and it's very rare that they take themselves very seriously. Uh, And I think that that sort of wit and and wink-wink, nudge-nudgeness can be nice, but when it's being used at a really high density or or high velocity i suppose in in smaller games it can kind of wear on you a little bit so this is a game that i i really only play um in in very short bursts because i I find myself getting worn out by it a whole lot Mm -hmm. gotcha um the game that i i did want to talk a little bit more uh, at length about is wintermore tactics club which is a strategy game even though it's got the the title tactics in it uh, it's a strategy rpg and it's all about um, these kids who are a member of this essentially D club uh, kind of getting conscripted into this big school-wide competition about uh, which which club is the best club and wintermore is a private school and this game takes place in the middle of winter so the tactics skirmishes that you have during the the club competition are snowball fights even though they're not actually snowball fights um Mm. it's it's a little weird because these kids being uh D enthusiasts they have realized that they can play these snowball fights very much like a campaign in D &D. And since they're very specific archetypes in their D&D-like sort of game, you have a mage and you have a, a tankish, uh, you know, paladin sort of character and a thief character. But the paladin and thief are really like melee people. So rather than them throwing snowballs, they're just straight up smacking and slashing their enemies. And their enemies are other club members from different clubs. Um, but it works fine as a premise i've heard a lot of people say that the writing in this game is is really really strong and it's one of the most appealing parts and i've seen like little glimpses of brilliance uh, in in regards to that i would also say that this game does seem to be very briskly paced but i am not seeing in terms of gameplay how this game stands out in terms of uh of stacking it up against other strategy game uh, contemporaries so um, i just think the theming is very nice and the characters are appealing the art style is appealing as well so that's that's all i really have to say about that that sounds really cool and fun so like the idea is that they're pretending that they're having these like epic battles but really they're having a snowball fight in real life is that exactly however (laughs) the the sort of main thrust uh, of the narrative is that they've been conscripted again into this like club-based competition where 
the the clubs are going up against one another in, in snowball fights. But when they lose, which whichever party uh, loses the snowball fight, their club actually gets completely uh, shut down uh, by the school. And there there seems to be some malice <laughs> in, in mm. regards to to what's going on there. Um, but I'm I'm really fascinated by the politics of the school. Obviously, the student council as a club has a whole lot of power, so they're kind of being hyped up as as the the team to beat, so to speak. But you also have these other like very silly, sort of ridiculous clubs like the Equestrian Club, which uh, doesn't have horses. So well, spoilers. That's disappointing. <laughs> yeah, but spoilers. Because they don't have horses, they have taken over the science lab and they're building a mechanical horse. Whoa. Um, and then there's the monarchy club, who are these people who believe that monarchy governments are, are the best. It's very bizarre. I think I was but, in that uh, club in high school. It was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, and and then of course, the, the one that, you encounter in between those two is the psychic club and there are these people who like believe that they have psychic powers and are trying to foster them but they don't no. <laughs> so it's uh, it, it's a very silly game um, and I, I think that's the the definite uh, appeal and, and charm of the title as a, as a whole it sounds fun so will you have some new games to talk about or old games to talk about i'm not really sure uh um, what you want to talk about first mostly old games um i talk a lot about old games i'm pretty nice. behind the times nothing wrong with that <laughs> um so i kind of took on my my own kind of side quest that i made up for myself this week which was finish some games that you already started don't take on new games so I'm working within that framework. So I really wanted to get through Shin Megami Tensei 3, and like that's my priority at the moment. Well, I didn't finish it, but it's mostly what I played this past week. Um, you, uh, yeah, you picked a game that it's not a short one by any means. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I played Fantasian a little bit, um, which I'm not loving, and I think I'm going to kind of put it aside at least for now and maybe come back to it later. I think it's really good. It's well done. It looks great. Um, it has a cool story. Like, it has everything going for it, but it's just, I don't know, something's just not clicking about it for me. And I think a lot of it is the movement around the world I'm just not enjoying. Like, I find it kind of cumbersome and just clunky. And I, I like, I constantly, like, try to walk somewhere, and I'm using the touch screen, and I'll, like, walk to the edge of the screen, but I can't touch off the screen. So I get to the edge of the screen, the camera rotates, and I keep and I touch the spot again, and now it's like the other side, and they walk back, and that's something like you get used to if you play a lot. But I just pick the game up in short bursts, and I think I don't know. It's cool that it's on Apple right now, but I feel like if it was on Switch or something, I'd probably have a better time with it. I'm not gonna say that I foresee that happening in the future, but I foresee that happening in the future. <laughs> Could happen. Um, but it does allow controller support. So I did play with an Xbox controller on my iPhone uh, really? the other day to try that. And I had the same problem, honestly. Like, it's still... Like, it's, it's more the camera rotating when you get to the edge of a screen that just throws me off. And a lot of games do things like that, and it always throws me off. I think Neo The World Ends With You was another one that really messed with my brain because 
the map was always fixed in one spot. It didn't rotate when you walked in a different direction. So it was always like, you'd have to like kind of think, okay, I'm walking up, but that's west on the map. And then I just turned, so now it's a different way. And it was really disorienting for me, but just a personal kind of thing, I think. Um, but yeah, I spent most of my time this week with Shimigami Tensei 3. I ended up, I did end up kicking the difficulty down to Merciful, which is <laughs> super duper easy um, for anyone who's concerned about the difficulty in the game. Uh, I I got stuck on that boss. I forget the Matador or something like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I got stuck on that. Everything had been fine. I was playing on normal. I couldn't beat it. And then I tried Merciful and I still couldn't beat it. I don't know why. Like, I still struggled, but then I think, Evan, you had given me some tips about, like, the typing. So yes. I tried that on Merciful, and it was a breeze. And then everything since then has been a breeze. So I don't know why that on Merciful didn't work, but I did notice, like, on Merciful, everything is so much easier. There's so few random encounters. Like, I'll go through, like, multiple hallways without a single random encounter. Um, and when you do hit one, they make up for it with experience. I think it's <laughs> like multiplied or maybe I'm just under leveled. I don't know. No. So no, it definitely is. I, I like to okay. think of merciful as being like the normal encounter rate divided by three, but every yeah. encounter gives you three times the experience. Yep. Yep. That sounds accurate. So that's, Which, yeah. it's not, it's not terrible, especially because again, I feel that Nocturne is a game of its time. When you're mm -hmm. going through these dungeons, you really do feel the game is big, and that's a really exciting thing. And I think definitely when it came out um, on you know PlayStation Two, that was probably very very exciting to have a game that big. But I think also the normal encounter rate with the size of the environments can be kind of brutal, especially for for more contemporary players right yeah and i think like i just reached this point too where like at first it, the kind of olden olden time structure of the game or design um, was kind of charming and felt really surreal mm. but now it's starting to just feel kind of empty after like dungeon after dungeon um and there's something still kind of cool about that honestly that feels like this kind of existential dread like you're trapped in this place and it's kind of like this um i forget how to actually say it, like sisyphusian <laughs> like the myth of sisyphus okay. like you're just constantly going through the same places doing the same things and it's like kind of this hell that you're in so like it's kind of cool thematically but in terms of just having fun and gameplay i'm not enjoying that as much anymore um and the one thing that I'm really not enjoying with the dungeons, and I hope this is just a couple in a row that I hit and not the trend going forward, is that to like kind of make them different and make new experiences in the dungeon and to draw them out, there's like this mechanic that started happening where you walk into a dungeon and then if you go the wrong way, it puts you back at the beginning of the room or the dungeon. <laughs> and I'm like, no, this is not fun. So I almost gave up on the game in two dungeons where that happened. I was like, oh, I can't do this anymore. Um, but I made it. So I guess I'm committed now. I feel like I'm over halfway through and I can get through the game and Merciful makes it a lot easier. So I think I'm going to make it. 
Um, but yeah, I'm not loving that piece of it. But most things I'm still enjoying about it. Um, I think it's pretty cool. It is, like you said, a game of its time. But it's a it's been cool because it's my first entry into the series. So I'm excited. I finally have some context for it. And it makes me more excited for 5 to come out. So that's one of my most anticipated games of the near future now. Just well, fun because it was like a curiosity to me before. But now I'm like, yeah, I want to get that. That's fun. <laughs> I, I agree, I think. And you can see even just in a lot of the design of videos of 5, I mean, you see the enemy encounters. You can mm-hmm. sneak up on them or escape from them um, on the overworld which is not something that you really get to do in Nocturne. If there's one thing that I do enjoy about the Vortex world, which is the setting of Nocturne, it's that even when you go to towns, you're still randomly encountering demons. So like towns aren't really all that safe, so to speak. Um, But I also, in some ways, I like the design of uh, Shin Megami Tensei games in that like you'll go into a room or somebody's house and you'll find like one person in there and you talk to them and that's pretty much all that they're going to have to say. Um, So you really do feel like you get to experience a lot of the game and there's a lot of stuff that demons have to say to you. But uh, yeah, all, all of the thoughts that you have about Nocturne are, I think very valid. I mean, Atlas is known for having turn-based battle systems that sometimes have twists to them. I think press turn in particular uh, is is a twist that is warranted and, and works for a lot of different games. And they're also known for their dungeon design. And I feel like Nocturne goes a little hard in, yep. in how some of its dungeons are designed. But I also will say that more contemporary Atlas games, uh, your Etrian Odyssey, uh, your Tokyo Mirage Sessions in particular, has some of my favorite dungeons that I've ever played in any RPG. So I'm hoping that we get to see a little bit more of that with uh, SMT5, um, because I believe the... Well, actually, I think some of the Etrian Odyssey creative team is working on 5. Oh, interesting. Which excites me because i really like the dungeons in etrian odyssey but it's a long game so yeah you you picked you picked a doozy to to knock out but yeah. i'm curious to to see your thoughts as you progress i think i can get there by next week because well depending on my quest but uh on merciful it's going really quickly like that um the matador fight was the only one that i struggled with since then like the bosses go down in like two turns usually it's so easy and yeah, and I'm just flying through, and I'm also using a walkthrough because the dungeons have started to get kind of grindy for me, so I'm just like, tell me where to go. I'll go there. I just want to see the story yeah. and kind of experience this world at this point. And this is, even the HD remaster is one of those games where I feel like it's perfectly valid and definitely okay if you have a, a limited amount of free time uh, to mm-hmm. use a guide because... Sometimes you just want things to be a little bit more straightforward. Yeah, and there was just a point at the beginning when I was like, oh, this is a walkthrough game. Okay, <laughs> let's do this. And, and traditionally, like, I'm pretty lazy with games, and I do just turn to a walkthrough really quickly. But in the past year or so, I've been trying to resolve not to do that. Um, but I'm like, okay, I can't, I got to do it with this one. I think 
uh, Atlas games in particular do take a little bit of like mental training because to go back to your difficulty with Matador, something that I like about Shin Megami Tensei games is that your level doesn't, I mean, it is a factor, but your ability to overcome certain boss encounters uh, is not always based on how uh, high leveled your demons are. Mm-hmm. which I think is really cool. Um, and I think that the, again, the press turn system really does benefit that idea. Um, but these are kind of anti-grindy games uh, in some ways. And so, I mean, I remember fighting Matador for my first time as well. And the the first time you fight him, it's <laughs> it, it's that check where you're just like, wow, either I am playing this game completely wrong or... I'm going to have to do a lot of leveling. And the truth is you don't really have to do a lot of leveling. It's more about just redesigning your team around the challenge that's been, you know, placed in front of you. And that's, that's a very rewarding feeling in its own right. Yeah, that's really cool. I like that, uh, that idea. You don't have to grind, you can grind, but what you're really reassessing is not your level or your strength, but how you're approaching things and, and there's probably a kind of a puzzle to work out and you're, there are probably multiple ways to do it, which I find the most exciting because then you really have more of a choice. Yeah. And I think that the catalog of demons definitely helps with that because there are so many, yes. uh, you know, team setups that you can make. Uh, and I will say something too, that I'm hoping for the, for uh, SMT five in particular, but I know that four and four apocalypse uh, had the cathre- uh, cathedral of shadows uh, was an app. So you could just pull it up at any time. And, oh, that's and, really nice. And fuse demons, which uh, that's cool. Yeah. Especially right before boss encounters uh, is, is much appreciated because sometimes you go into that boss encounter and you get wiped and you're like, all right, I've got to like think about how I'm going to make my party work and to trek all the way back to the Cathedral of Shadows to make that happen is sometimes a slog. Yeah, and I also don't like how, I think this is just an older mechanic too, that the Compendium of Demons, I think that's what it's called, mm-hmm. you can only access from the Cathedral of Shadows too. Like I want to look at all the monsters sometimes, but I just can't because I'm not there. Yep. <laughs> that's something that i'm sure will be there in five i hope it will be more accessible in four and four apocalypse that was definitely something that was more accessible to the player okay that is good to know that we are on that trend <laughs> um i just wanted to say there's one more thing i wanted to say about this game and then we can move on and that is the world map is really interesting to me it's weird because you're just like this little cursor moving around it but you're really walking around it and just I don't know why there's not a character there, but I'm, I got used to that pretty quickly. Um, but the thing that I find really interesting about it is the music is so different than anything else in the game. It's like this kind of like light, happy music. And it kind of makes you zoom out of the game and look at it from a different, like it makes you step outside the character and look at the bigger world um, and kind of takes you out of the immersion of the game which I think is really interesting. Like it feels kind of off in some ways, but I think like it was obviously a design choice and I don't really know what to make of it, but just that, yeah, like it makes me kind of step back from the darkness and like, I get the song stuck in my head sometimes and I'm just like, 
I don't know. It just feels like kind of fun and happy and light, which is weird. I find I I feel that way very much about the overworld theme in four as well, and I think. In some ways, it makes you see the overworld as as a more serene place, which yeah, I mean, you you still have you know enemy encounters on the overworld, but it almost makes the overworld feel safer than being in even a town or totally uh, or a dungeon, and it's it's a weird tonal aspect um, for sure, but. I think it is a little bit uh, charming in its in its own right, and I'm curious to see if that sort of like cursor um, mm-hmm. based o- overworld is something that comes back in five because it was in four, it was in four apocalypse as well, and they have said, or at least in a treehouse uh, video they were kind of talking about, oh, you're going to see demons, you're going to see, like, demon encounters coming up uh, even when you're on the overworld as well. And part of that makes me think that the quote-unquote overworld is going to be more like a Dragon Quest game and that it's just going to be, like, these large areas that you can explore. Um, But who knows? Maybe you're going to be able to see those demon encounters on the overworld too. So I'm really curious about that. But, yeah, it's a very strange design aspect. Yeah, yeah, it just makes me think, and I, I find, like, those kind of things where it feels like almost like a mistake, but, like, you know they did it for a reason, and I find that really interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, do you have any other games that you want to talk about? Um, I have I have also been playing a game to brush up on for my quest for this week, but again, it's one that I had played before because I wanted to focus on Shin Megami Tensei and uh, and get through that as much as I could. So that was kind of my other restriction on it was it had to be a game that I'd played before. Uh, so I, d- I did go back and hop in a little bit, but we can hop over to the, the quests if you're ready for those. Certainly. I think this is a great transition point. I think, I, I feel like when we go from our what we're playing section into our quest there's always like a way more <laughs> smooth transition than i expect there to be but yep let's let's go for it feels it. like two different things but it's really the same thing it is sometimes 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 <laughs> yeah but i started with my quest uh last week so will we're going to start with yours and do you want to just remind the audience what your quest was Yes. Uh, so my quest was a Western RPG that looks and feels more like a JRPG. And so I think this is a little bit up for debate. You can say it looks or feels <laughs> more like a, a JRPG, um, especially because both of those qualifiers might be a little bit difficult to find. But what what did you settle on? So I ended up settling on using my restriction of one that I already played was Earthlock. Okay. Yes. Um, which I didn't, which didn't come to mind originally. Like I, I googled this a lot because I was like, I feel like I should be able to come up with things, but it was really hard. I kept thinking of JRPGs that felt more like Western RPGs, but I had a really hard time with the reverse. And I found uh, kind of a longer list of some games, mostly indie, a lot surprisingly um, made in Europe, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Um, and then Cosmic Star Heroine was the one I kind of wanted to do, but I hadn't played it yet. And I was like, I'm not, I can't take on a new game right now. Um, <laughs> so that one's still on my list to play, but 
I was like, oh, Earthpark, I have played that one. Oh, and yes, it really does feel like a JRPG. Um, it has turn-based battle. It has a party system. Uh, the story and structure and pacing have that JRPG feel. There's a, a world map that feels like a JRPG. Uh, you take on quests in the same way, and characters have a, like a card kind of based progression system where you lay down cards on a grid which reminded me a lot of some Final Fantasy character progression like the Sphere Grid in Final Fantasy X or the, I forget what it's called in Final Fantasy XII, um, License Board, uh, where you're like laying down things in a specific path, but then you're choosing kind of what skill gets augmented at, at each point with your cards. Hmm. Um, so I thought that was cool too. And then all, yeah, all those pieces really came together to make it feel like a JRPG and I Googled it multiple times. I was like, is this a Western RPG? And again, the definition I'm using here is very straightforward, just where it was developed. Um, so it was developed, I think, in Norway. I think the, the company that made it is Norwegian. And they were just really heavily inspired by JRPGs, I guess. Yeah. So Earthlock is a game that I have always been curious about. Uh, I... I mean, back pre-Switch, uh, it was a game that was kind of up in the air in terms of getting a Wii U port, which that was my console of, of choice back then. And it eventually did get uh, a Wii U version right before the Switch released. Um, and so in some ways, I had been curious enough to like maybe pick it up on Wii U, but it, it kind of got lost in the crowd with the transition over to Switch. So I do know that, mm. you know, this game was kickstarted in, in some uh, aspects. The, the the developers have been working on it for, for quite some time, and apparently there's actually going to be a sequel uh, coming out in the near future because they really want this to be a trilogy of games. Um, so, yeah, I've always been curious about what's been going on uh, with this game. And correct me if I'm wrong, but there is this... Uh, there's like a farming element to this as well or yeah. there's like an environmental aspect to this yeah the, well there's literal farming <laughs> which is pretty interesting uh, the main character uses um a gun that shoots what are called spuds which i guess are potatoes um and you can grow other things too but that's like i found the most useful thing to craft because you run out, or to grow because you run out of them mm. and it's his arguably in my opinion best skill but probably just my most straightforward skill um, is to shoot spuds. So you can grow spuds in a garden and it's pretty fun and addictive because you have, I think you can grow things in different places, but like in the home base kind of area, you have a big garden and you plant seeds of like flowers and different items and spuds. And then they grow in real time. Actually, I don't know if it's real time. But like you can stand beside them and see them growing. So I guess that's real time. Um, and and then you harvest them and they grow really quickly. So you can just stand there and keep harvesting them, especially if you plant them like staggered. You can just keep going along the line and, and picking them. And then they'll start growing back immediately because you're just picking the like the spud off the plant rather than the whole plant. Oh. And you need to keep topping off its water, but it'll just keep growing. So it, it can get pretty addictive and you can get kind of stuck just like farming things, but it's pretty fun and a, a unique angle, I think, that the game takes. Cool. Uh, but that, yeah. Is that the extent of the, the farming? I mean, does it, cr does it transfer over to other characters as well? 
I don't really know, to be honest. And that's another thing that I will mention about this game is that I picked it because it was one I had played and it felt a lot like a JRPG to me. And I went back to the definition and I was like, okay, it's a, it's a Western RPG that looks or feels more like a JRPG. It's not my favorite one. So I have not finished the game. Um, I played it on Xbox when it first came out. I think a couple years ago, 2018. Um, um, Xbox One? Yes. Uh, so, yeah, it actually came out uh, <laughs> worldwide on Xbox in 2016. Oh, wow. Maybe it was then. It feels like a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. Like, I have mixed feelings about the game, honestly, where there's a lot of things I find really charming and interesting about the world and the story and the characters. And then there's some things that feel a little generic and don't pull me along. Um, overall, I think it is a bit lacking in a lot of areas that um, with so much competition out there of other games and trying to break in to the JRPG space as a Western RPG, I think they have some tough competition. And For I don't sure. think they quite got there with this first game, at least. Maybe they will down the road. But but there's something really charming about it and something that I found myself drawn to where like I feel like it's not the kind of game I would typically play, but I did pick it up for some reason. Like I was curious about it and I started playing it and something kept pulling me along when I likely would have quit at earlier points had it been another game. I don't know exactly what it is, but... But like as an example of the kind of this push and pull between being a little, you know, not as excited about it, but then still wanting to keep with it. Um, one of the characters that I liked the most is called Nart, who is a hog bunny. And <laughs> he's just this like funny, cute little creature. He's really funny. Like he's just really charming and a great character all around. Uh, he's your, I think he's like the second party member you get, or the first one in addition to the main character. So he's like with you from the beginning. He's just a really great character. Really wanted to like spend time with him and follow him along. But then like the human characters are just pretty generic. And I, I don't know if it's his species that makes him interesting or just, or why the humans just feel kind of flat. Like their design is kind of flat. Like they just look, like generic humans <laughs> like that's their role in the story is to be a human um token human characters but that's i think most of the cast and they had it been a jrpg i feel like um japanese media and like anime and jrpgs are very like they have the system down where they can create a character that maybe looks a bit generic, but they add some like very distinct features to them, like an eye patch or crazy colored hair or something. So you quickly get their character in a moment, like at a glance. And I feel like that's something they could have taken from JRPGs more that they didn't because like a couple of the main characters are like a white guy with dark hair and a woman with light hair. <laughs> and like they look so generic and I just couldn't I just didn't really care about them other than that I was taking them on as part of my party but 
they just didn't have much character. And I think that's what ultimately kind of made me bounce off the game. I played for probably, I'd say like six to eight hours originally. And then to refresh myself for this episode, I downloaded the Switch demo and played through that, which was a couple hours maybe. Um, But yeah, I'd recommend anyone who's curious about it. Like Evan, if you're curious to check out the Switch demo, uh, you can get a good sense of the game and you can try the farming in the demo. Um, You can meet Nard and the boring humans. (laughs) Cool. Um, Well, I I will also say that I have seen that the reaction to this game has been a little bit mixed and mm-hmm. I'm not one to normally with meta critic scores with, with any sort of uh, aggregate uh, scoring. I, I, I don't put a whole lot of stock into those, but there are aspects of, of even just hearing about the game, which is, you know, some of the farming um, elements are questionable to me. And that's, that's more just because I find, a lot of farming systems integrated into uh, RPGs. I don't really find all that fun, but then again, I also did sink like 50-ish hours into Rune Factory 4, and most of that was spent doing a lot of farming. So (laughs) I I guess your mileage may vary, but there were some uh, aspects upon looking at trailers and such that definitely made me hold off previously. And so, you know, that that is, of course, the joy of demos, being able to, yes. to get a little um, sneak peek at things. And in fact, the 3DS era was just a great time for, for uh, RPG demos in particular. It's how I got into a lot of games and, and even just kind of uh, generated some, some interests uh, a little bit more in the genre. But um, yeah, I mean, I would be curious to see what they improve on uh, in the sequel, which apparently is is on track for a 2022 release uh, and if that were to look really good to me then i would probably head on back uh, and take a look at the original Earthlock. um yeah i'm really curious to see where they go and i do want to mention the battle system quickly because i think this might there's a little bit to hook you there okay. um so it the battle system is pretty interesting actually and that's one area where I think it looks kind of generic on the surface, but it gets deeper the more you play. Um, And it's actually pretty cool. So the overall kind of battle system is like a basic turn-based battle, but then your characters each have stances. And you can change stances, which is kind of like changing jobs. So for example, the main character um, has one stance where he uses the spud launcher, something like that shoots potatoes, basically. He has that stance. And he has some like really strong ranged attacks. And then you can change his stance and he becomes like a thief or a rogue. And he can steal and use some different kinds of abilities that don't do as much damage but may get you another kind of advantage. And so each character has two stances that change what they can do in combat, which is pretty cool. Um, Nart has, I think, an ability to heal the party on one hand and on the other one I think is either buffs or debuffs and those kind of things. So he's more of that kind of character, which is interesting. But you can swap them out through battle and change to make different combinations, which is cool. But then it gets more interesting because there's a lot of... The game really focuses on the relationships between the characters, which is cool. And there's another 
mechanic called a battle bond that lets you enter a super stance if you have like a bond, a strong bond with another character. And I don't honestly understand all the details of how the bond system works, but you can set up there's in the menu, like a bond with a specific character, like two characters bonded. And I think you can only choose two at a time and then they gain a stronger bond over time and they get different abilities that you can set when they're bonded. So that's kind of cool. And when you um, are bonded, you can enter a super stance when that bond increases in battle. And that it's kind of like a mega evolution or Dynamax in Pokemon. Like you get like this super strong move that's the same type as the one you would have normally had, but way stronger. So that's cool. And then here's the real kicker. Oh, no. You ready for it? Uh, I guess so. Okay. So there's this, I guess, like the magical substance in the world is called Amri. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but it's like the ether or or the steam in Steam World that you use to use your abilities and skills. And it starts to feel like a card game a little bit to me in that aspect because you build it up over battle you can gain it and then use it to use stronger skills and there's really this push and pull of using your stronger skills versus saving it up and um and trying to use stronger abilities and and like really setting up your moves ahead of time which i think is one of the things i find my most intriguing about card games is that you're you're building up your resources, you're planning ahead how you're going to have this big payoff and like do this big sweeping strategy. And it's not quite the same thing here, but like it really reminded me of that once I saw the Amory system and how that all comes into play to use different skills. So I thought that was really cool and something you might be interested in. Well, I think you saved that one for last because you know that I have a penchant for the the card game or, or tabletop game system. So You caught me. Yeah, uh, that does sound pretty fascinating, um, but I, I will definitely... Now I, I really do want to check out the demo, although I'm pretty certain probably you don't get to access some of those things uh, in the demo, at least, right? Um, I think you get to see them all. I don't know how much you get to explore them, though. Okay. Well, that does sound appealing to me. <laughs> um, and just to wrap up this this discussion and this quest in some ways because you know chances are we could come across this again uh, in the future is this idea of a, a lot of indie developers um, a lot of kickstarted projects being these western developed rpgs that have a lot of jrpg uh, dna in them mm-hmm. um, which you know, uh, some of the examples that you pointed out uh, certainly ring true. Uh, you know, Zeboid Games in particular, they they really are dedicated to making JRPG-style RPGs that are shorter, um, snappier, um, but have these smart or, or unique uh, battle mechanics uh, in, involved in them. And so at first, it, it does seem like a very specific uh, sort of quest topic to, to bring up. But as you do a little bit of research on this, and maybe even as you look back into your backlog, you reconsider uh, 
the 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 definition and and what the uh, the quest requirements are. I mean, I I will be honest. Um, <laughs> I I definitely had this quest on my mind when I started up uh, Cthulhu Saves Christmas and also Wintermore mm. Tactics Club because yep. uh, both of those games do have a little bit of. Uh, JRPG energy in them, even though Wintermore is more about these D and D enthusiasts. Um, so, yeah, I, I am hoping we get to return to this at some point, maybe uh, as a quest for me, but also um, I would just like to, you know, further explore this topic in a lot of ways because there are so many um, RPGs out there, um, but. There are a couple uh, in particular that that do pique my interest, and they're ones that I guess I, I've always been curious about, and, and I've never really uh, taken the chance, or I've never procured the the resources to to actually uh, play them. But there are a couple of of European based uh, Super Nintendo uh, RPGs that were, were made by a studio in Europe, but definitely have this, this Japanese sort of vibe to them. Um, unfortunately, I'm completely blanking on the one in particular that I, that I always think about. Um, so <laughs> that's a little unfortunate. But another game that is uh, maybe a little bit more, I don't want to say legitimate, um, but at least a little bit more high profile that maybe some people would be familiar with, uh, I suppose, would probably be something like Grandia, right? Which is mm-hmm. a, a, an Ubisoft and, and Hudson Soft, uh, like co-developed. The series was worked on by both uh, studios, and so it's it's got a little bit of this like European uh, f- flair to it, but it it also is uh, very Japanese in design, and. Uh, Ubisoft in particular kind of came back to this idea in a it feels very much like an indie game but is you know a, a pretty high profile release called Child of Light which I, I don't know if, if you've played or not um, yeah that one made my short list as well actually uh, as one that you have played before or one that you maybe wanted to talk about both Okay, well, I, I think we'll probably talk about it at some point in the near future um, because it's a game that I have very mixed feelings about. Uh, but I do really love the battle system and also the customization, too. Um, it's, it's everything else that, that, makes, that gives me pause. But uh, thank you for sharing that, and thank you for telling me a little bit more about Earthlock and convincing me to... I'm definitely going to give it a shot now. Anytime. That's exciting. Find new games. For sure. Uh, I'm not going to be talking about a, a very new game. Uh, it is tied to the Wii U in a lot of ways, but uh, just to transition Ooh. into my quest, uh, as a reminder, my quest uh, from last week was an RPG with better side quests than the main narrative. And this one has a few qualifiers to it, uh, and there are, are some reasons that I chose it that are great and then there are some reasons that i chose it that are unfortunate um, and it's one that we've talked about hinted at previously and i'm so glad that i have the opportunity to finally give it its due uh, in this episode but for me the answer to this quest is always going to be xenoblade chronicles x so Ooh, exciting 
<clears throat> this is a Wii U exclusive uh, at the moment, which I think is such a shame because in mm-hmm. so many ways it is, in my opinion, it's it's one of, it, it might be the best game on Wii U. Uh, especially it's, it's the best Wii U exclusive game um, because you've also got Breath of the Wild and you've got Tokyo Mirage Sessions, which... Uh, at least with Tokyo Mirage Sessions, uh, a great JRPG in very different ways from uh, Xenoblade X. But God, I love this game. And it's it's one of these games that the the longer I don't play it uh, and, and the longer I play RPGs just in general, I, I, this thought comes up in, in my head where I'm just like, you know, I could be playing this game right now <laughs> instead, and I could be having a great time. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny because initially my my feelings on the game were different. I I think going from Xenoblade Chronicles, the uh, Wii game, to Xenoblade X was jarring uh, in a lot of ways just because mm-hmm. of how both games are designed. But the more I think about the more sometimes that I come back to Xenoblade X, the more I find it extremely appealing uh, in a lot of ways. And one of those ways comes back to narrative design. So I will say the main narrative of Xenoblade X is not great. Um, I think it is very uh, truncated. Um, it's it, it, it doesn't get the time that it needs to tell its story. So if you rush through the game and and don't take the time to to stew on the side quests uh i i think you you come away from the main narrative feeling a little unimpressed and there are some things that the game tries to do uh to mitigate this it gates your progression through the main narrative based on your exploration level of certain biomes and and such which i think is smart but i think they could have they could have gone a little bit harder even because the true joy of this game uh, to me is the side quests and i think it has to do very much with the xeno in in this game which really does have to do with aliens and there are just a, a really great little group of of alien species in this game um, and i should say uh, sentient alien species um, and as you explore the side quests you get to learn a lot more about their cultures and what they value and what they perhaps bring as uh, as that might be of benefit uh, to new Los Angeles, which is the the human civilization uh, in this game. And what's even better is you first kind of get these little tastes at these alien cultures uh, as as you kind of court them to join your civilization. And then once they're an integrated part of your civilization, then they start interacting with one another. And it I, I hate to <laughs> to go on like a really English teachery tangent here, but let's go. One of the the reasons that I love English as a subject, and and one of the reasons I love teaching it, is because it's all about communication, and it's all about understanding uh, other people, other groups, 
um, and, and trying to relate to them in some ways and acknowledging mm-hmm. that there are some aspects of other cultures that you are never going to understand just because you weren't raised in them, but you can appreciate them and you can understand uh, how they are or why they are the way they are. And that's something that I think is so beautifully represented in the side quest design of, of Xenoblade X. And there are, there are great side quests that tackle not just the idea of coming to terms with a new culture, but there's, you know, xenophobia that's, that's discussed. There are, uh, weird, like cultural dilution, um, topics to be explored. And then there's just some other just wacky off the wall things that you do. You've got these great side quests with other party members where you, sometimes get double crossed by that party member and they leave your party when you had them uh, in your initial party so that you can fight off enemies and uh, the 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 only real shame that i feel in getting to live in this world with these other uh, alien species is that there's really only one other sentient uh, alien who you can add to your party and i wish that you could maybe add some of the other um, creatures uh, to your to your party as well, but that's you can always wish that things were more uh, than what the final product is. And ultimately, I, I hope that this game does get its due someday, and that it gets released on a later Nintendo system. Um, I mean, my fingers would be crossed for a Switch port, even though. Uh, monolith has said that it would be really tough to make that happen um but i i just i wish that people would get to experience and enjoy uh, the best parts of this game even though the best parts are are that way because the other part which is the main narrative is not as strong yeah we really need this one on the switch come on So we did talk about this uh, last week. Will, you have played this game. Do you have any thoughts that you maybe wanted to add about it or uh, feelings about the side quests that I've expounded upon? Yeah, I mean, I I always love to talk about Xenoblade games, as you know. And uh, I haven't thought about this one in a while, honestly. Um, I played it several years ago. I never had a Wii U, so I actually played it on an emulator. And The experience was fine because it wasn't the optimal way to play. The controls were a little not great the way I was playing it, but I could see the beauty of the game. I really enjoyed everything about it. Um, I liked the main story, but I think like you have good points about it. And I think the main story in that game is it serves a purpose and it's supposed to move you along through this world. And like you said, it has kind of checkpoints where you have to explore X amount or do X things before you can move on to the next area, before you can progress in the story. And that's a thing other games do as well, but I think it was particularly of note here because it does feel like it really restricts you in a way and really locks you in. And like, it is really, it's really more about the exploration at that point than the story itself, which, uh, I think it works here, but it's a little unfortunate that they didn't use that opportunity more to play up the main story more and to make those kind of 
diverging points more impactful in the main story itself. But I don't know. Like, I think it's kind of okay the way it is that, that the exploration is the journey itself, right? Like, that is your main takeaway with the game, is exploring and meeting all these different people and not people and finding all these new locations. And I, I do wish that there were more alien party members as well. I think that would have been cool. But, but yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head on a lot of those points there. I think uh, as much as I love a lot of the side quests in this game too, the the reason that the narrative can maybe sometimes strike as as hollow, and I'm saying the main narrative in particular, is that this game has the monolith soft, I think, problem, which is a problem that extends to a lot of MMORPG-styled games, which is that there are some side quests that are really, truly just bland in design, too. Um, you do have those side quests where it's, oh, kill X amount of this thing or gather this much material. And if you're trying to blow through the main narrative uh, and, and really hit all of those story beats, you could just take on a whole bunch of quests like those and miss out on the truly joyful narrative side quests that do exist in this game, which... I think is a shame and I think it's something that Monolith needs to be better at because sometimes more content isn't necessarily good. Yes. Um, and it I mean, I would say they they really don't seem to <laughs> they don't seem to be showing any signs of wanting to change that design philosophy based on what we've seen of Xenoblade 2 and the Definitive Edition uh, Future Connected expansion, um, which I think is a shame because it's particularly egregious in Xenoblade 2 where you have uh, 90... Okay, it's, I think it's somewhere in the 90s. 90-something blades that you can equip. and Oh, each, yeah, there's so many. Oh, my and, gosh. Each one of them has, you know, some stupid affinity quest line that's just like, oh, kill X amount of this creature. And ugh, I, I hate that. Um, but when, when this game is firing on all cylinders, it's truly a, a joy to behold. And some of the, mo the most memorable quests I've ever played in any uh, RPG and maybe that means I need to play more but I also think that this game is really something special I agree it is something special yeah and while you know I, I get that emulation is a thing that people can do I hope that this game does become more accessible to a wider audience and that I think is the easiest uh, answer to this quest and so now that I've gotten that out of the way if I should ever encounter this quest again in the future <laughs> the answer will probably be a little bit tougher for me to uh to find yeah and I, i'm looking at this first time through our quest board as like pick up the low-hanging fruit the things that first come to <laughs> mind and then i'll dig in more later because i think it's good to set the tone and to to pick the things that are more obvious answers to right off the bat and then to start the conversation and we can delve in more to yeah. other ones later 
and so that's that's a, that's definitely something that I would say to our audience at home is, yeah, it, it might seem like sometimes we're picking some low hanging fruit, but uh, there there is a reason for that, and I'm excited to see as we move on what what uh, new options we're going to dredge up. Yeah, I mean, I picked Pokemon last week, so this this is there's true. plenty of territory to explore. <laughs> Yes, especially for, again, that monster-catching uh, quest. But I think that's yes. going to wrap up that section for us, which means we need to uh, head on over into our new quest roles. So I actually need to pull up the quest board. I uh, do, too. So, <laughs> so awesome. we're going to do that really quick. But, uh, Will, right now, you're still ahead of me, and I I feel that you got to get a bad roll at some point. <laughs> also, that now I could get an enemy encounter if I roll a one. Well, uh, but I mean, it is true. This is true, and that is something that I did want to clarify about the enemy encounters. I think if you haven't completed your encounter, uh, you cannot skip over those. But if you have uh, and you rolled uh, a natural one, you would skip to twenty-one. Oh, okay. That's good. Because, yeah, you've already done one. So uh, we've got this, uh, well, I've got this quest board uh, pulled up in front of me, but Will, uh, I rolled first last time. So if you have your uh, dice ready, then you can uh, go ahead and roll. I am ready to roll. I'm on number 19. So let's see what we get. Oh, a two. A two. I was close to hitting that enemy encounter. Uh, a non-RPG that you think does not qualify as an RPG. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I already know. So I'm, I'm like <laughs> excluding something and saying like, this is definitely not an RPG. For sure. Yes. Okay. Got it. All right. Okay, and I am, I, I am, oh God, I'm all the way back down at 12. So I'm hoping I get a nice meaty roll. Uh, let's see. And I got a two as well. <laughs> oh, joy. Again, I get to continue my train of negativity with an RPG. Uh, and it can be a series that you could just never get into. That's a good one. Yeah, why Why am I getting all of the, the ones <laughs> that, are, that I get to rag on a series? You just love those. Ah. <sighs> That's true, or else I wouldn't have put so many on the quest board. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, that should be exciting. Next episode's going to be a, a nice negative one. Yes, it is. I got a negative one, too. Yeah, so we get to rag on things that we don't like, or maybe things that we like but don't think are great RPGs. Right. This is going to be a fun one. For sure. Uh, but with that, uh, we have cleared out all of our to-do lists uh, for right now. So we are going to finish up before we head on to our next quest. So again, uh, if you are at all curious about interacting uh, with us on Twitter or, or uh, in, in any capacity, you can find us uh, on Twitter. Um, you can find me uh, at... R-P-G-S-E-B. And uh, Will, where, where can they find you? You can also find me on Twitter at Cosmic X Library. That's right. And of course, the podcasts 
uh, Twitter is uh, at RPG Pod Quest, right? So instead of cast, you've got quest there. And of course, you can find us wherever you listen to, to podcasts, uh, actually. Uh, you can uh, find us on Anchor, of course. We're on Apple. We are on Spotify. Are we anywhere else, Will? We're a lot of other places, too. Google and some other ones, even. <laughs> okay, well, that's cool. Some that I didn't even really know about. Um, and of course, uh, again, I, I would love to uh, just give a shout out to this uh, excellent board that you can follow uh, along with us uh, on that was created by at RPG underscore writer. He made this lovely uh, little quest board that you can uh, follow along with at home, and you can also uh, just interact with us uh, on on Twitter or what have you uh, if you want to complete one of these quests. Um, And that uh, hopefully is something that we can, you know, uh, experiment with and experience more as we continue through the the pod quest. Uh, Will, is there anything else that you'd like to, to promote? That's it for me for today. Uh, so there, there is one more thing that I would like to say, uh, and it's something that happened within the past week. And I know I, I had hinted at perhaps us having a collaboration with the website Switch RPG, um, but actually recently the site directors came out and they uh, confirmed that they are going to be discontinuing uh, content on the site. And as someone who wrote there for the past three years and and wrote a whole lot of content for that site, I I just wanted to give a shout out to them and to the site in particular. Um, If you were or are a fan of RPGs um, and you have a Nintendo Switch, this site uh, for the past three years has been one of the greatest resources for learning about new games, for having discussions uh, with others who are passionate about the genre. And while the site is uh, no longer going to be generating content, there is a Discord that you can access through the site, but also there's a really great community of uh, RPG enthusiasts there. And it's, again, been such a a pleasure and a privilege to work with them. And I'm hoping that uh, the other writers and the individuals who who kind of reached a point, the the site directors who reached a point where they really felt burnt out, um, I hope that they can continue to enjoy RPGs in some capacity. And maybe that's hopefully by listening to this podcast uh, as well. Um, So... Yeah, I just wanted to to throw that out there. Yeah, that's sad news, but a great a great source that still exists. I think it's going to be archived as well, still, right? Yes, and so all of the content uh, that uh, all of the writers uh, wrote, and there was some great music based content. There were some uh, great opinion pieces, great lists of of really strong RPGs, and then there were a ton of reviews. Uh, and when I when I say that, I mean it as as someone who reviewed a lot of games on that site myself. Um, that are all going to be up there. So if you're ever curious about an RPG that you see on the eShop, uh, maybe take a you know, uh, a swing by Switch RPG and see if we wrote about it, uh, what we said. Yeah, there's a good chance you'll find it, probably. 
I, I wouldn't be surprised. So with that being said, I think that wraps up our podcast for today. And so we will see you after we get back from our next quest. Onwards we go. Onwards and uh, and downwards because <laughs> yes we're gonna have a we're gonna have a downer episode next week <laughs> down we go yes all right uh we'll catch you all later see ya see ya